And if you don't have one, then there's one in the seat in front of you. And with that, there's something special and unique about having a physical Bible in front of you that you can see and then you can touch, you can feel, you can even smell. Um, and what I want to do this morning from Psalm 34.8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And that's what I want to do. I want to take refuge in his word this morning with you. And so in the timeline of what Walt has been preaching recently in David's timeline and his life, where we're at in Psalm 34 is after David's success in war under King Saul of Israel, and it, but it is before, king, uh, before David is declared king of Israel. And so that time period, this time period right now in Psalm 34 is, is basically as a result of David fleeing from Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. And he flees to the king of the Philistines um, for refuge. The king of the Philistines and the Philistines in general, that nation was God's arch enemy, essentially. God's nation's arch enemy. And so you can only imagine what David was feeling. And so this psalm is an expression of thanksgiving for God's protection and care for those who fear him. It was written by David in response from being saved when all odds were against him. Most of us can identify in our lives when all odds are against us. And we see that it led David in his situation to pretending he was mad, he was insane, he was crazy, as we'll read. And in front of the king of the Philistines, perhaps, as we see, and noted that David was the warrior in Israel who killed Goliath, the most prominent warrior of the king of the Philistines. So you can only imagine what King Achish was feeling when he saw David. And so if you want to know what it means to fear God, and know how that is lived out in the Christian life for us. And particularly when all odds, all odds are against you, then please follow along with me in Psalm 34. So here in Psalm 34, David shows us that when all odds are against us, we must fear God instead of man. Let's read Psalm 34. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there that he desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, but those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Dear Lord, we come before you and we pray. I pray for your strength to speak through me to your people, that you would open our hearts to hear your truth, that I'm a broken vessel that just brings your word to your people, Lord, that you would incline our hearts to know you more, to see your testimonies in the life of David in this psalm as a result of his deliverance that you have granted him, Lord. We pray also for your goodness to be manifested in our lives, that we can apply this message to our own lives. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Nick Vujicic, as you see on the screen right here, was born without arms and legs. He didn't have any. He was born without any and no hope of any growth of any. And when he was born, the, the doctors told his parents that your ch- child is going to be a burden to you for the rest of your life. You are going to have to care for him, help him go to the bathroom, help him do all the things that an ordinary person with arms and legs would have to do. And so his parents trusted in God. He was raised in a Christian, Christian household. And as Nick grew up, he was taught how to pray from his parents. And as he taught, was taught how to pray, he prayed for arms and legs. He wanted arms and legs. Lord, please give me arms and legs, but never received them. This led to a depression, a deep-rooted depression that he had, and a potential suicide in six inches of bath water. And the only thing that prevented him from committing suicide was the thought of his parents, who would feel like they would be failures. And he thought of that, and he didn't want his parents to feel that way. And so God restrained him from committing suicide in that moment by using that thought. And so because of of his condition, though, he was angry at God. He was mad. All odds were against Nick. I know for myself that all odds were against me at times in my life. There has been many times that all odds were against me. How about you? When have all odds been against you in life? When have you felt like there was just, felt like that you were against the world and you had everything against you? Or it felt like. Yes, there are times in life when all odds are against us. Some examples of this could be you went to the doctor and found out that you have cancer and only one month to live with a newborn baby. Or you were in a bad car accident that paralyzed you for the rest of your life. And your sports career of hopes of playing professionally are over. Or on the other hand, having all odds against us can be our own fears. The thought of never getting married and being lonely for the rest of our life, or an uncertainty about what the future holds with our finances, our health, our family. But Psalm 34 says that God is our deliverer. Therefore, we must fear God and not our situation. 
What does it mean to fear God, you might ask? John Piper, I think, gives a helpful perspective. He says, the fear of the Lord is the trembling that one feels in the arms of a father who just rescued him out of the undercut of the ocean. The fear of the Lord is the trembling that one feels in the arms of God the Father who just rescued him out of the undercut of the ocean. So to fear God is like being in the arms of God the Father after being rescued. So let's ask ourselves, what does it mean for me to practically fear God? From Psalm 34, it teaches us that we fear God by trusting God's judgment, by magnifying him, and by inviting others into his goodness. Let's look at the first point. We fear God by trusting his judgment. David did not trust God's judgment. Let's see where and how David did not trust God's judgment in this specific situation. In 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15, it gives a narrative of the situation David has been in when he fled from Saul to the king of the Philistines. And it says, from 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15, it says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath, king of the Philistines. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So we see that David ultimately did not trust God's judgment. We see that he took matters into his own hands, and he tried to control the situation for himself by acting insane. I know myself, and I know some of you that I've known over the years have acted insane when all odds were against us, have acted crazy about a situation that we've been in. And although in David's situation, David's lack of fear, still del- God still delivered David despite his lack of fear, From King Achish. So we see that David is not the hero. God is. God's the hero in this situation. God has restrained King Achish from killing David in this situation. But reflecting on this trial, David declares that we should trust God's judgment. Why? Because of his dealing with the wicked and the righteous. By David's response in the psalm, he shows that he has learned a valuable lesson in this situation. And let's see how. God's judgment is seen in the dealing with the wicked. And when it talks about the wicked, it's talking about those who are away from God, those who don't have a relationship with God, a transgressor, a guilty, someone in the wrong. They don't, they don't have some sort of foundational relationship with God. That's what it means when it talks about the wicked. And so in verses 16 and 21, it says, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. Verse 21. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So therefore, trust God's judgment in your situation. Why? Because God will do right. He will do right. In addition, we can trust God's judgment because of God's judgment toward the righteous as well. 
when it talks about the righteous, it's not, it's not, doesn't mean that the righteous always get things right. It means that they have some sort of foundational relationship with God, and they have some sort of way about them that can hear God's voice and his presence with them. And so David has learned this in the last two stanzas, in verses 15, 17 through 20, and 22. In verses 15, he says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. Verse 17, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Not just some fears or troubles, but all of them. Verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And saves the crushed in spirit. If you feel like you have a broken heart or you're crushed in spirit, you can look to verse 18 because the Lord is near to you and will save you. Verse 19, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Verse 20, The Lord keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And verse 22 The Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Redeeming in this instance meaning ransomed, delivered, bought out, released from all your troubles and fears. So for these reasons, we must also trust God's judgment. Because God acts rightly toward the wicked and the righteous. He acts right. We don't need to take matters into our own hands to be delivered from our odds. Rather, we need to fear God. Why? How? By trusting God's judgment. We not only must trust God's judgment, but we must fear God by magnifying Him. When we magnify God, we are showing that we have an awe and respect towards Him. We have some sort of honor that we want to give back to God, that we put Him under, um, we put Him under basically the foundational block and we we revere over him and we love him unquestionably and then we submit ourselves under his word. And so when we magnify God, we are basically doing those things. We are having a respect out of his word and his goodness towards us. And so what has David done? What has God done for David that led him to magnify God? Let's look at what God delivered David from. In verse 4, David says, I sought the Lord And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. God delivered David not only from his situation, but also from all his fears. When he says all his fears, he means the dangers that basically disturbed his mind. He's, he was very, David was very unsettled. Saul wanted to kill him. He goes before his arch enemy, the king of Gath, king of the Philistines. So there was just thoughts going through his head that his life might be ended in an instant. So these things basically disturbed his mind and gripped him to the point that they tormented him. And remember, King Achish despised David for killing Goliath, his most prominent warrior, and destroying his army. Surely this this did add to David's fears immensely. So under under the thought that King Achish perhaps could kill him right then and there when he first saw him. And so verse 7 says, though, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. If at any time you are terrified because of the threats that surround you, this psalm assures us that the servants of God are protected and defended by his angels. And 
to remain and to assure us that if we are protected by his angels, and then we are to look to and trust that we are to remain alive on this earth or be taken home to glory. And so John Payton, a missionary from the South Hebrides, um, an island above New Zealand and, um, and Australia uh, in the late 1800s, he was faced with many situations of near death. And um, in this one particular situation, he had a bunch of cannibals chasing him, wanting to kill him, shooting muskets, and he hid in this bush that you could basically see through. And he prayed, not only in this instant, but almost every instant that he was in near-death situation. He said, Lord, please deliver me from this situation, or take me home to glory, whatever you see best for my good and your glory. And in that particular situation, God delivered him. And those, so it says, so it shows, Psalm 34 shows essentially that those who fear God may be exposed to many odds against them. But we can rest assured that God will be the faithful deliverer of our lives. David tells us that when you fear the Lord in difficult situations, the Lord will answer you according to his will. When all odds were against David, it appears that he feared King Achish, his enemy, more than he feared God. But God still delivered David. Not because of David, but in not because of David, but in spite of David. God delivering David points us forward to Jesus Christ, who ultimately delivered us from the stronghold, deceitful schemes, the arguments that infiltrate our minds of believers and unbelievers to take a grip on us. So Jesus Christ delivered us from those things. By his death on the cross, all of our sin nailed on the cross, a scapegoat that Jesus has provided. He died for us on the cross. And through his perfect life, he rose from the grave. And as his raising from the grave, he has conquered death and the stronghold of Satan that he has once held us under. And so with that, not only from our fears, but also from hell itself. Each one of us, apart from God, left to ourselves in our own sin, would inherit nothing more than hell itself. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together through Christ, with Christ, through grace, by grace alone, through his, our faith alone, and in Christ alone. So we can see that it's by God's grace through Jesus that is what delivers us from the strongholds of Satan and the stronghold of our odds, from our own sinfulness and from the sinfulness of this world. So, what is the result of God's deliverance for David? Let's see. Well, it calls David to magnify God by telling others and telling others what God has done for him. So, the text says that we magnify God by humbling ourselves and blessing the Lord. To bless the Lord is to praise and magnify him. Verse 2 says, it says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. To humble is to come before God under his word, putting yourself under his authority, listening to him and obeying him, taking refuge in his word to us. The humble know, they just know that God is their deliverer in situations, that he alone is to be feared and not their situations, and it moves them to magnify God. It moves them. An inward persuasion that just moves them to want to magnify God. So for this reason, we can say that this gives me joy to tell others what God has done for me. And presently, when all odds are against me, 
I will magnify God because he is my deliverer. And if he delivered me from hell, then he will deliver me from these odds. Verse 3 says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For us, we can do this publicly here in church, singing praises to him, magnifying him, lifting up hands of praise to him, giving him the glory. We can do this on the streets, sharing the goodness of God and what Jesus has done for yourself, delivering you from the stronghold of Satan. It could be anywhere. Or we could do this by just closing our door in our room and meditating on God's word, reading it, praying, looking at the truths of scripture and taking refuge in them. And so especially we can do this when all odds are against us. Therefore, we must not only magnify God, but also we must fear God by inviting others into his goodness. Verse 8 says, verse 8 through 10 says, basically, we invite others by tasting and seeing his goodness. So verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The psalm is a call to believers and unbelievers alike. A testimony of David himself to taste and see that the Lord is good because God is our deliverer. He delivers us when all odds are against us. And so we taste and see that God is good. When we do that, we are blessed. We are blessed because we are taking refuge in him and his word. And so when others see and when others see you tasting and seeing God's goodness, it compels them to want to do the same and to seek God in their situation. And so, verse 11, moving on, says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This psalm is a call to the next generation to fear God and to know his goodness. If you're in elementary school or you're in middle school or you're in high school and you're experiencing times at high school or middle school or elementary school that people are making fun of you, people don't like the way you look, like the way you act, maybe they know you go to church, they know you do these things and they don't, you don't participate in the things that they participate in or you've participated in those things that they participate in, in your li- before, but you've changed your life. Well, this is basically saying that you can come here You can come to the word of God in verse 11, and it says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of God, the fear of me. And you don't have to worry about what they are saying to you, that your identity is not in those things. Your identity is in the fear of God. And that fearing him is where you find your identity. And verse 9 says, it says, it's also a call not just to children, but it's a call to everybody. It's a call to all you here myself. It says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. When all odds are against you, you may fear that you're, you may feel that you are lacking. David is saying, no, that is not the way God works. If you fear him and not your odds, he will provide all you need. You will not lack what you most need. Therefore, for anyone who feels like you are lacking this day, this hour, this moment, Jesus is extending an invitation to you right now to put your trust in him with your entire life. That you don't have to trust the deceitful schemes that sway us and move us and grip our minds. That we can trust and fear God. 
Why? Because this is what God says to us. And we can put our trust in him with our entire life and lack absolutely nothing according to God's will. Nick Vujicic, here's a picture of him growing up. And he lacked nothing in his life out of a fear of God. In the midst of his anger toward God for his condition of having no arms and no legs, he soon realized that he could either be upset with his life about his condition of having no arms and no legs, or he could thank God for the blessings that God has given him. And so faced with this situation, God compelled him to say when he was 17, more than arms and legs, I want peace. More than arms and legs, I want purpose. More than arms and legs, I want eternal life. And more than arms and legs, I want you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. I hope you see and understand that it is the fear of the Lord that compels us to trust in his deliverance when all odds are against us, when all odds are against you. And we respond to this by trusting God's judgment, by magnifying God, and by inviting others into his goodness that we have also experienced. When Nick Wojcik was a child, he struggled mentally and emotionally, as well as physically with having no arms and no legs. But eventually he came to terms with his disability, and at 17 he started his own nonprofit organization called Life Without Limbs, a ministry where he is able to share God's relationship that he has and extend it to others. He also prevents motivational speeches to public schools where he can bring in his relationship with God. And it focuses mainly on a life with a disability and how you can find meaning in life through Jesus Christ. He also speaks more so that if God can use him to be his hands and feet, then he can use any willing heart. So overall, God is big enough to overcome any disability, any odds that are against us. Nick was well aware of the odds against him, but he had a fear of God above the fear of living without arms and legs. And it caused him to trust God's judgment. It caused him to magnify God. And it caused him to invite others into his goodness. So, regardless of our odds, let's do the same. No matter what odds are against us, God is our deliverer. Therefore, we must fear him above all else. Let's pray together. Dear God, we come before you now. Knowing that it is the fear of the Lord, the fear of you, that holds us foundationally in this life against any odds that are against us, that we would know it, that we would see it more clearly in your word in Psalm 34, that we would know and understand that it is the trembling that we feel in the arms of you who just rescued us from the undercut of our own sin over the sinfulness of, our, of this world and under the strongholds of Satan himself. That living in your fear is more glorious and joyful despite our odds than living in any other situation that sways us, any odds that sway us. And we would say that more than anything in this life, we want peace. More than anything in this life, we want purpose. 
More than anything in this life, we want eternal life, God. And more than anything in this life, we want you, Jesus. We want you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's continue our worship. Please stand. Let us raise our voices to him. Sing unto the Lord. Breaks the power. 
holy roar of God resound. Watch the waters part before us now. Come and see what He has done for us. Tell the world of His great love, our God is the God who saves. Our God is the God who before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you have arisen and that we walk into our community this day with your protection, with your guidance, with your care. We ask that you would take us and that you would use us as your hands and your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. 